Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, you'll find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the line. The Army Ordnance Corps. Hello and welcome to the Every Soldier Counts podcast, where we talk to the people that help the 19th ESC deliver the logistic support that keeps 8th Army moving. Because 19th ESC, Every Soldier Counts, is in the name. I'm your host, Captain DeBraj Mukherjee, also known as Raj. As a part of our Hispanic Heritage Celebration, uh, we are talking today with a soon-to-be-retired Lieutenant Colonel Yolanda Nieto, G1 OIC. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm doing very, very well. It's a magnificent Monday today. I know. Every every day we get to serve, right, is it another Absolutely. wonderful day. So uh, for those of us who don't know what the G1 is, do you mind giving us a little description or just telling us about what the G1 does? Absolutely. Uh, so G1 does everything uh, human resources um, and uh, it, everything that that encompasses, like from accounting for personnel, okay. uh, you know, the daily p- uh, personnel statistical report, like who's, who's available for duty today, whether they're um, present for duty in the hospital, um, or TDY, leave. Uh, So that's the strength management side of the house, so that's what we cover um, on the personnel accountability strength management side. And then um, the essential personnel services covers down on awards and actions. So like all the soldiers that, you know, receive an award, we process all those awards to include the Catuso awards um, and and soon to be the civilian award, so that that will be coming. Uh, but also to all the actions. So if you want to curtail, you know, your assignment or extend your assignment, um, whether it's a foreign uh, service tour extension, um, uh, we do all those actions. So and that's the essential personnel services side of the house. And then of course I have a plans and ops section that um, you does all the uh, planning and operations, oh, wow. all the op orders. Um, you know, the, the daily battle rhythm for G1, but also to encompassing what the, the, the command as a whole does. And then, you know, making sure that we uh, meet the taskers and mission that are given by uh, the G3 and the CG uh, for whatever that tasking is. So, so when we talk about people, like mm-hmm. the people aspect of 19th ESC, you guys mm-hmm. are the main you know, the main action officers for making sure that people get taken care of in this unit. That's correct. Yeah, that's a huge responsibility. It is. It is. So currently we account for close to over 6,000 people with the 19th ESC. So I've got uh, a great staff that helps me do that. And uh, Oh, yeah. It, and, and I can barely account for myself. So <laughs> that's a... Yeah. So we, we, we help all the, the primary staff to be able to do that. So Awesome. Yeah. Eklund, so you just so we just celebrated your uh, impending retirement, thirty-seven years. Correct. Uh, so, t- so nineteen eighty-five is when you commissioned. That is that is correct. So I was uh, so I was active duty for four years, and then I came out, and went into the reserves. Oh wow! Okay. Um, I didn't stay very long because um, I got called up on uh, for Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. The Gulf War, it, like capital G. That's right. That's right. So um, participated in that. That was my first. Uh, and so what was your, were you AG to begin with? or No, no. So I actually started out as, um, 
I got my degree in biology, and then I got uh, branched chemical, oh, wow. chemical okay. core, um, because all the biology and chemistry majors at that time were being branched uh, um, uh, chemical. That, so, that, so when we talk about like going to the Gulf War, as a, you were chemical platoon. That's correct. A de- uh, decon. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, decon chemical platoon leader. Yeah, and so yeah. when we think about the first Gulf War, that was the that was kind of the main worry, right? When we uh, absolutely with Iraq at Saddam Hussein and his uh, weapons of mass destruction, chemical weapons. So that that's a very so. What was your posture when you were over there in the? It, well, so uh, yeah, so we lived in in Mop just about every day, oh, man. Uh, except for when we were moving. Uh, but even then, uh, you know, it was. It, you really learned your craft and how to be the best, you know, chemical officer that you could be. Um, you know, you learned how to breathe and sleep in that mask uh, because you <laughs> were moving intense. in and out of it. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, a shed, you sweat a lot, so drink a lot of water. Um, you know, for some folks, they lost a lot of weight. But Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mop gear in the desert, is a, that's a great uh, weight loss plan. Or not a great, not not a good weight loss plan, but it'll definitely right. burn some burn some calories. Absolutely. So yes. after Desert Shield, do you, you went active duty? or? Uh, no. So I was still in the reserves. Okay. Um, so I was part of the 90th ARCOM, which, is, which at that time was headquartered out of San Antonio, Texas. And so I was a... Uh, a trainer uh, for oh, the cool. 90th ARCOM. And, you know, we went around training other reserve units, uh, various different aspects, you know, inspections, because it was a two-star command at oh, the wow. time. So it, it was a lot of TDY, mm-hmm. uh, but but very fulfilling. You know, got to travel uh, Arkansas, uh, most of Texas, um, Georgia. So, yeah, it, it was like being on active duty, Absolutely. but we did a lot of TDY uh, to be able to train the reserve components. Absolutely. And so what made yeah. you want to do the transition from uh, reserve to active duty? So that's a great question. Uh, so I was in the reserves, and after 9-11, they were mobilizing oh, reserve wow. units, uh, okay. like consistently, yeah. um, you know, every nine to 12 months. And so I was part of that mobilization and it just seemed like I was always being mobilized. And I actually ended up um, working for Fifth Army once I came back off of that OIF rotation. Uh, I went to work Were you for, part of the initial invasion? For OIF? No. Okay. Um, but I was for Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Gotcha. So I was so, say, like, kind of right. going back to your old stopping grounds almost. Uh, did you? Uh, I know a lot of folks when I deployed uh, who'd been a part of like uh, who'd been a part of Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. They would just you know like, oh, that's Nasiria, oh, that's over there. Did it feel like uh, not right. say that like you were coming home, but it came like you were coming back to familiar territory? It, absolutely, absolutely. So, but this time in an AG role when I went back in right. OIF. Uh, so not in MOP all the time. C- correct, correct. <laughs> right. uh, so it was compl- 180 degrees different, uh, but. But uh, still, it was a great opportunity for me to learn a different uh, a different branch, and so that that's basically what I did, and that's how I became a subject matter expert in AG. Absolutely. So, so yeah. what made you want to transition from chemical to AG? Was was it a was it like your first choice, or it, you know, sometimes they, we get uh, it's not always the art job we choose, but the job the army chooses for us. And that's pretty much what happened. So I was in um, the Reserve Command, and they were mobilizing all these units. And um, Colonel Brenda Smith, um, it just I had worked with her a little bit, and she actually asked me if I wanted to, to mobilize. And, of course, I said, well, I'm not AG. And she said, uh, knowing your work ethic and knowing who you are, you, you will not have a problem. Uh, oh, you wow. know, you're going to go to the MOB station, qualify with us, and you're going to MOB. And I said, yes, ma'am. Yeah, and, uh, and so that's how I became an AG officer. So, 
So did you have a lot of uh, senior female leaders at that time or? Actually, um, outside of Colonel Brenda Smith, no. Um, you know, the chemical corps predominantly was male. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were, I had a few soldiers that were female that would come and go, but not as far as, uh, you know, senior leadership. Um, my company commanders were uh, male, uh, and oh, wow. the battalion commander and the brigade commander were all male. So it wasn't until um, OIF, uh, too, you know, when Colonel Brenda Smith uh, was when I've, had the first female um, senior raider. Oh, so, wow. So a lot yeah. of, so between, at, that's interesting, because between, mm-hmm. you know, Desert Shield, when you mm-hmm. went for the Gulf, and when you went uh, to OIF, there was a lot of differences, aside from just, you know, <laughs> what you were wearing. Correct. So the people you were deploying with were were totally different. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yep, chemical to uh, to AG. So <laughs> yeah, it, two different fields entirely, you know, just kind of learning the 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 climate and the structure and, um, you know, just, it's a different skill set altogether. Um, uh, because I, I mean, certainly in the chemical core, you know, you're servicing and, you know, doing decon operations, uh, nuclear operations, Absolutely. et cetera, you know, whereas on the AG side of the house, you're actually helping and servicing soldiers and, and helping them be able to get to where they need to be, you know, professionally and personally. Uh, so, Different skill sets. So still helping though. Still, exactly. still providing support. Still helping soldiers. Still taking yeah. care of soldiers. Really. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, between so you know since you had such a massive demographic change and a massive change in scope uh, mm-hmm. from your two deployments, what would what would you say like in retrospect were challenges that you dealt with uh, while you were uh, in Desert Storm Desert Shield that were maybe different when you were in OIF. I don't know that they were really challenges other than just opportunities in, mm-hmm. in, in learning because uh, during Desert Shield, Desert Storm, um, it was an actual mobilization and deployment on the reserve side of the house right. versus um, uh, OIF. Oh, actually, well, now that now that I say that, OIF, too, was I got mobilized with a, another reserve unit out of New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, so but they were different levels. Uh, one was a company and the other one was an 06 command. So, oh, wow. yeah, complete different. Um, and also, too, you know, starting out as a lieutenant and then being a major, you know, that a lot of growth had occurred between that time. Absolutely. Um, People take you more seriously as a major it, than that. Correctly than, than as a lieutenant. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, just just going over there and, and being deployed and, and serving, whether it was Desert Shield, Desert Storm, or OIF, um, you know, one, two, and three, uh, you know, it was all great experiences that that me as an individual was able to participate in. And um, it, now that I think about it, just in, you know, with family members, yeah, I, I did have cousins that went into military service. Oh, wow. um, but... Uh, yeah, for we my were, first cousins, I was probably the only one who came back with two combat patches so, <laughs> well, <laughs> and some, a female at that. Yeah, so, some bragging rights uh, at right. Christmas at home, right? Correct. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were talking a little bit before the interview, and it sounds that uh, your family uh, has uh, moved to Texas pretty uh, in the early 1900s. Yes, uh, during the yeah. Mexican Revolution, yeah. uh, 1910 to 1920. Um so because of the bandit war that was going on in Mexico, um, where you had uh, the government and then you had um, the bandits kind of really that were raiding um, and raiding you know. and taking from, you know, the, the local populace. Uh, you had Pancho Villa in the north and Emiliano Zapata in the south. Um, so during that time, our family uh, 
which is from Zacatecas, Zacatecas, uh, mm-hmm. decided to, to come to Texas. Absolutely. So, um, so they came across. Um, and of note, uh, we had Lieutenant Colonel Dolores Nieto, who fought with the Mexican uh, army, the Federalists, during the revolution and, uh, and came across um, primarily because of the, um, you know, just because of the revolution. So, uh, so that was in 1918 and uh, coming all the way forward to 2022, 2023, 104 years later, you have another Lieutenant Colonel Nieto departing the U.S. Army, you know, for civilian life. So, so hundred, you know, hundred, uh, about a hundred years mm-hmm. and two Lieutenant Colonels and really hundreds, sounds like hundreds of years of government and military service in your family as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, I had two uncles um, that uh, served their initial terms. Um, um, and there were my brother, my father's uh, younger brothers, and then my father served uh, a stint in the National Guard, Texas National Guard, under the 36th Infantry Division. Oh, wow. Uh, correct. Yeah. So, and then as far as first cousins, I'm number eight out of 68 first cousins. So I've had um, probably about four or five uh, first cousins that entered service and came out. And then, um, so second cousins, let's see. A couple of second cousins, and then one nephew that's a graduate of USMA. Uh, oh, nice. A, what year? Yeah, uh, glass, uh, class of 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah, class of 2015. So so we've got military in our family. Just, nice. It's not uh, like... Would you, is it a is it an overt tradition in your family, or is it just uh, the direction uh, members of your family happen to go in? So I wouldn't say that, yeah, for, for the Nieto side, not really. Okay. Um, so it just, uh, I know for me, it was different um, okay. to yeah. come in. Absolutely. You know, because in my culture, you know, that's not something that a woman does. Uh, you know, get yeah. a degree, get married, have start raising a family. So when you graduated, um, so when you graduated St. Mary's, you had your degree in biology. Correct. Uh, how... But what was your when you're like I'm going to the army? Like, what did your what did your family have to say about that? Were they super supportive or they were actually very supportive? Oh, cool. um, you know, which is you know not traditional, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I had my parents' support uh, to to go into the army. Of course, it was all brand new. I'd never been to Anniston, Alabama. Um, <laughs> you know, just let alone you know taking a, a plane, you know, to go uh, to the East Coast somewhere. And um, but uh, in in learn to live life uh, on my own, you know, away from family. So I think uh, that is when, you know, when we look at the, you know, how they are, how does the army instill discipline in you and mm-hmm. instill responsibility for in you? I think that's one of the big things that, uh, you know, we, it ta- well, first of all, it takes you away from everyone, you know, right. Exactly. And uh, you, you, you do, you have to, it's a, a little bit of a sink or swim. You, mm-hmm. you learn to be responsible and that, yeah, that, that's awesome. Especially coming from such a strong support system and then having mm-hmm. to learn to do things on your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it was a lot of fun, scary, but, uh, but doable. I mean, you know, I knew that there were other people that had gone before me. Uh, so, you know, I, you're right. It was a sink or swim. You, you got to make it, you know. So when you uh, kind of going back to your decision to commission, was it when did you decide that you wanted to join? And what was it the your family's military history? Did you feel like you wanted to honor something? Or was it a chance to do something that was completely new? It was more of uh, something new. Um, cause I really didn't know my family history at that time. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, you know, I knew we had a lot of relatives like all over the United States, but I had, did not realize that there was a Lieutenant Colonel who fought with the Mexican army when I was commissioned as a second Lieutenant. Um, I think had I known then, you know, I probably would have been a little bit more focused on, you know, a few other aspects in my life, but, uh, you know, something that 
I learned along the way and, uh, you know, just learning, you know, your family history and the legacy that, you know, that comes forward with all of that because what they had to endure during the Mexican Revolution doesn't compare to what, you know, what I've had to endure. uh, It puts things in perspective. Yeah, it puts things in perspective. I don't know if during the Mexican Revolution they probably didn't have to wear mops. So I feel like maybe you have something on them there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. So... Uh, yeah, big differences, big differences. So, uh, in retirement, I'll have a chance to actually dig into the records a little bit more, and and um, and and really kind of see if Lieutenant Colonel Dolores Nieto was always a paymaster. You know, in the it, today it would be the Finance Corps. So um, very similar, it, yeah. You'd, right, you'd be working in offices right next to each other. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to that time to be able to research a little bit more of the family tree. And and if there's anybody out there who's listening to this that knows of a Nieto, uh, please, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. We'll put up a hotline so people can call. That's right. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. So yeah. uh, you kind of going back. And so as you reflect on your time and, and you know, I, I was fine for me, like t- transition is like a time where I really think about, you know, and I don't have nearly as much time as you do. Mm-hmm. So as when I think about, you know, what I've done so far and where I'm going. And so when you reflect on your time uh, in the army, do you, what are some of the biggest uh, changes that I would say that you've seen? So I, and I mean, I imagine there's a lot because in 1980, the army of 1985 and the army of 2022 are two vastly different organizations, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one, just the the climate and the culture is mm-hmm. different. I mean, you've got a lot more females mm-hmm. um, in the Army now that, than you had back in 1985. I mean, in, back in 1985, most colleges and universities were co-ed uh, to include USMA, uh, because I think they were co-ed probably 19, late 1970s, yeah. somewhere around there. But uh, so... It, it just the integration of women into the force. Um, and then, of course, coming all the way to current day, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, we had the female engagement uh, teams that uh, fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, you know, just you see a lot more female uh, general officers, you know, unlike in the past, you predominantly only saw them in the medical corps, particularly the nurse corps. Um, I know I got a lot of questions asked when I first got commissioned, you know, am, am I medical? Am I a nurse? And I'm like, no, none of those. People <laughs> um, would just assume that you were a... Right, that oh, I was wow. a nurse. And um, but uh, never, uh, yeah, never ever served as a nurse. So, um, and technology is probably the biggest thing. Um, you know, back in my day when I came in, uh, a lot of manual systems, um, not only with active duty, but uh, in the reserves as well, you know, carbon copy, you know, you put a little name uh, card or you put your card on a plate and you, you know, you know, run it. And then, <laughs> you you know, one copy goes to you, one goes to, you know, the, the admin uh, person so they could get you paid. And, and so it was just really different. Of course, now everything is automated, um, you know, administrative actions. Uh, are automated as well, um, you know, sent through email. Uh, you know, I was talking to the 8th Army G1 team earlier. Uh, we were just talking about old systems, active and reserve, which is SIDPERS, you know, ARDLAS, to Dimers, to IBSE, yeah. you know, where we are today. I mean, that release is going to happen yeah. um, here real soon. So just things have really, really transitioned. So I would say technology has been a big change. Absolutely. And I mean. and I've seen that. Um, you know, I'm not real savvy with the, you know, the, uh, I'm not even going to talk about it, but, but, you know, I'm not very technolo- 
technologically advanced, uh, but you know, I've got uh, team members that can help. Uh, you can log into Microsoft, right. and that's, oh, absolutely, yeah, that's the, yes, I think that's yes. the biggest. Once you cross that hurdle, you're good to go. Right, absolutely. So yeah, um, so I would say just the the command climate and mm-hmm. um, so the ta- culture. Talking about the climate, uh, mm-hmm. would uh, you know? I understand coming up as a, as a Hispanic female mm-hmm. in 1985 when uh, you didn't have that many females around you. Did you ever feel like you were dealing with hostility or uh, did you ever, uh, were you able to find mentors? You know, I know in the, in the military, uh, mentorship is, is so mm-hmm. important. So were you able to, you know, even though you were kind of different from these leaders and I know, mm-hmm. I know you didn't mention you had one senior female leader, were mm-hmm. you able to find mentors who helped you out or? Absolutely. Um, and, and they were never really all the, the same mm-hmm. um, or, you know, anyone that looked like me, um, <laughs> you know, it was just kind of a full spectrum, um, you know, just seeking the advice and, Absolutely. you know, what's the next step and, you know, I'm going in the reserves, you know, what do you think and, you know, what's your guidance and, um, you know, and, and even within the reserves, uh, it, the I would say the mentors uh, that I had early on were predominantly men uh, okay. until Colonel Brenda Smith and then did that uh, did that uh, affect I want to say like the quality of mentorship but did you feel uh, that you were getting more uh, precise mentorship or did, did you feel like it the demographic of your mentor did did the demographic of your mentor matter or was it I don't feel like it did okay. um, you know I think it's important for us to be able to work uh, together with one another it doesn't matter you know what the demographic is um, you know because you know, if they're a lieutenant colonel or an 06 or one star, they, you know, they've, they've uh, gone through the ranks and they're able to, you know, pass that knowledge down to you and provide guidance. So they've walked the path. You exactly. know, and so they've gone through the systems and yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter where they came from. We're all ultimately trying to go in the same direction. Absolutely. So that totally, that makes sense. That makes absolute yeah. sense. Yeah. So when you think about your legacy, so, you know, talking about the army has changed quite a bit in 1985 mm-hmm. to 2022. What do you feel like your legacy in the army is going to be, or what do you want? What do you want people, uh, you know, your soldiers, the, the peoples and leaders that you've mentored to remember about you? Wow, that's a big loaded. That's a loaded question. <laughs> so I would say um, resiliency, endurance, um, resiliency, because you know, it doesn't matter what rank you are, you mm-hmm. know, enlisted officer, you know, you've you experience a lot of things, um, particularly in deployments. You know, we lose soldiers. Um, and, you know, we, we have to process that. And then, you know, in our personal lives, we also lose family members. And, you know, I think going through through life, you know, the, the Army does a really great job in, you know, providing resiliency classes and, um, you know, behavioral health, uh, you know, just the full spectrum. Uh, there, there's a lot of agencies out there that can provide uh, assistance to you. So, uh, but I would say resiliency uh, endurance, um, family, creating that family. Uh, I think, you, you know, G1 kind of naturally, you know, builds that family. I've seen in, the G1 family. Yeah. You guys stay way later. Uh, I don't, you know, you have your, you know, you have your meals, you guys mm-hmm. decorate your offices. The, I would say the atmosphere in the G1 is probably, you know, sometimes I walk past, I'm like, I wonder if they'll let me in and have some cake. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> absolutely, <a very> nice... <laughs> absolutely. Just knock on the door. We'll let you in. <laughs> we'll yeah. let you in. Today, the special is uh, walnut banana bread. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be sure to stop by. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So how yeah. do you um, how do you foster that? So how do you, I'm, and I, you know, and I can say, yeah, from what I've seen, the the, mm-hmm. the family environment in the G1 is, is you're very tight-knit, very solid. People definitely put in more than 100%. And, yes. you know, not because they have to. Right. You know, right. just, but, and so how do you, how did you foster that? environment um 
you know, one, I, I do a G1 sync with all my leaders mm-hmm. um, every Monday morning, um, you know, touch points with all the soldiers, uh, you know, particularly on Monday mornings, you know, ha- did everybody have a great weekend? What'd you do this weekend? What'd you do, you know, downtown? Did you take in a new site? You know, get out of the barracks? You know, just really kind of Taking asking. Taking a genuine interest, yeah. Right, absolutely. Because, you know, the last thing, particularly here for Korea, you, you don't want your soldiers to stay into the barracks um, or, and stay there all weekend just sleeping and watching Netflix. It can uh, radically change your, it can radically change the time you spend here. Like exactly. You, yeah, spend it in the barracks, do it, you know, just kind of doing the same thing or right. actually getting out and trying to see Korea. Exactly. Yeah, so. Um, you know, and I think everybody knows that, that I love to hike. And so um, we've done a couple of G1 hikes. We just did a, we right. also did a right. <laughs> on right. on Friday. Right, right. So, um, and leading up to that, of course, we did, you know, Leaders Recon. Of and, course. You know, I had uh, probably about three, four G1 team leads on that, uh, yeah. on that uh, hike. So, uh, yeah, trying yeah. to keep, I tried to keep up with Captain Isles on that hike on Friday. And I think I, I paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 little sore today. Yeah, a little sore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's uh, yep. He's he's sore. very fit. Yeah, he's very he fit, is, and he climbs right. mountains very fast. Yes, he does, and I think his background is SFAB, so Special Forces. So, yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> he knows his he knows his way around about <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I would say fun is also another. Uh, hopefully, that's another character that folks see. You know, absolutely. in in the G one and and in me is you know even though we work hard and we stay late to make sure that we accomplish all the missions. Um, you know, we try to have a lot of fun in doing that because, you know, who wants to come to work and not have fun? You know, to me, that's just that's just drudgery. You know, yeah, <laughs> it, we it's do. time yeah. to leave the army if that if that's uh, you know what your experience. Um, but yeah, in and really because you know we've got a lot of younger soldiers here that are away from home for the first time. You know, and they miss their family. It's really building that family atmosphere so that they can learn, grow, and develop. Um, you know, not just professionally but personally as well. Do so. you think? Uh, do you think coming from an extended family background, uh, you know, uh, when we were talking before, it sounds mm-hmm. like you have a pretty a lot of family in San Antonio. Do you think growing up in that extended family background sort of helped you facilitate this as a leader? Or? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yes. Uh, because I'm one of five kids in my immediate family, and then number eight out of sixty-eight first cousins in on the nieto side of the house. So you already so. know how to manage a lot of people or it, be around a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah, I'd like to think I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, that's excellent. And yeah. so, and yeah, you know, we always talk about uh, uh, on the podcast here when you know when it comes to support systems, career can be difficult because mm-hmm. you are. You know, you know, talking about how the army sort of makes you makes you self reliant mm-hmm. uh, through distance. You know, distance from your support systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, Korea is one of those places where you really don't have as much access to your family as you would like if you're stationed in Kona. So having a leader who genuinely engages and cares and 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 creates that atmosphere is, you know, that that definitely builds resilience. It does. It does. Um, you know, it, and really, it's taking care of each other. Um, you know, but also to remember to take care of yourself uh, because you can, you know, bo- burn both ends of the candle and, Absolutely. and not be able to take care of yourself and, and then just, just leave completely burned yeah. out. So what do you do to take care of? So you like to hike? What else do you like to do to? Uh, so, you, I, you know, watch movies on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> of course. You have to allow some time. Right, Watch TED Talks, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and, ju- and just walk. Just walk around, you know, new areas within Daegu, um, 
you know, like I was telling some members of my team, you know, really it's just getting out and, and, and making that first step and driving in an unknown direction and then just getting out and walking and seeing what's in the area. Um, and, you know, and you'll find out that there's so much more out there. I mean, there's a lot of history, you know, not just, uh, I mean, there, there's valid history. You know, we've mm. got Hill 303. Oh, we've yeah. We've got the Nocton River Museum here. Area 4, mm-hmm. I agree. Area 4 is really unique in when we look at Korean history because I, I, mm-hmm. this uh, getting stationed here has been an excellent opportunity to really understand the history of the mm-hmm. Korean War and what it, what an epic, you know, what an epic war it was, really. And uh, especially in Area 4, mm-hmm. we held the line. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So being able to walk those, being able to walk those areas and see them, yeah, Hill Three or Three, and uh, yeah, even I think on Friday going past mm-hmm. Nakdong Memorial. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And just and just kind of envisioning, like, wow, would I have been able to make it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can I tell mean, you, coming up that mountain, I was like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was pretty steep, that 30-meter incline. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And then every time, you know, every time you go up and you, uh, I think they were calling it like a false plateau, uh-huh, uh, right. you, I was like, okay, good, a little bit of flat. And then you go up and you see it's just short and then more mountainous. Right. Just like how did people do this with gear right. under combat conditions? It's uh, Yeah, it really does put things in perspective. Absolutely, yeah. So endurance, family, fun, resiliency. And I would say the last thing would be um, for me as a legacy is just l- laying claim to being the smallest paratrooper in the free world. Absolutely. <laughs> you are, le- you are legit the smallest paratrooper. Uh, it, it's in, it's, in, it's recorded in the schoolhouse, right? Uh, you know what? I, I need to check that. I hope that it is. So, yeah. Um, I, I often challenge everyone, you know, that's airborne, you know, and I, I don't think I have had anyone come back to say that they've met, uh, a smaller paratrooper than me. You know? <laughs> Did you have to do any, a special exemption or anything to to, to go to, to, go to airport school? school? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you just gotta meet the qualifications and nice. Um, yeah, and that's then, awesome. And then make your jumps. And then uh, so my first thought, you know, coming into the army as you know being jump qualified. Um, at the time, I didn't know that they weren't sending females to Italy because that was restricted to males only. Mm. So, so I ended up going to Germany and being a chemical platoon leader. So, but, absolutely, uh, yeah. But it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Um, probably a little bit more adventurous than your average, uh, yeah, AG soldier. I would so, say. Yeah, I would say you. Yeah. It sounds like when we we think of like the modern conflicts, mm-hmm. you've you've been a part of most of the modern conflicts going going on from 1990. So that's a uh, that's pretty cool to say that you you were a part of history like that. You know, talking about your experience as the smallest paratrooper and being a Hispanic American woman, mm-hmm. uh, what were some of the challenges that you dealt with? That were was there was everyone supportive at airborne school or were there detractors? No, I would I would say that everybody was supportive. Um, you know, I, I think uh, just making it that first jump, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the jump masters probably could see it in everybody's eyes. You know, just that fear, like, holy moly, am I really doing this? Yeah. And uh, but you know, all suited up. Um, you know, I probably went to airborne school. You know, probably a, a very light. So you know, when they had to put all the equipment on, you, you know, and, and tighten everything up. I, you know, it was just like, how am I going to walk onto the, you know, into oh, wow, the air, yeah. <laughs> onto the airplane? But it was funny. You know, just one of the jump masters just came, picked me up, and just, you know, dropped me on the table because we were all waiting. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, 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 they were all very supportive. We all got sent to the gig pit, you know, and and sucked in, you know, that sawdust just like everybody else. And so <laughs> there was no special treatment, you know. Yep. Um, 
it, it was just as challenging for me as it was for anybody else. Um, I think having that common goal, mm-hmm. you know, you you all show up, you get there, and you want to mm-hmm. you want to be airborne qualified. It it does help you look past. Uh, so if anyone did come in with prejudice or mm-hmm. you know any ideas about other people, that all sorts of melt that all sort of melts away really fast when you realize you all need each other to to achieve the goal. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I I think you know even my parents were supportive of it. You know, I think just. Uh, my father was probably concerned for my mm. safety, um, and I'm not sure why, um, as a lieutenant, I called home and asked if I could go to airborne school. You know, of course, my father said no, um, and I just said, hmm, okay, well, um, I need to go to airborne school for me, because mm-hmm. if, if I don't complete that, then, you know, that just helped me to build confidence, uh, courage, um, and, and knowing that that's something that I could accomplish, and if I can accomplish that than anybody else can. Uh, so That's excellent. You were yeah. still trying to be a good daughter. Right, <laughs> exactly. to get your father's permission. Exactly. Hey, right. Dad, I got these orders. Uh, right. Do you mind if I you know, follow the Army's right. orders exactly. <laughs> to go to airborne school? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I can see how he thought it was dangerous, you mm-hmm. know, because... Jumping I mean, on a perfectly good airplane is... Exactly. Yeah, and, and because I was a female and the smallest one, I was the first one out the door uh, on, two, on two jumps. And so you're just like, oh, my goodness, you know... Um, yeah, just, just just boom out you go. That's right. Yep, and you're just <laughs> screaming, you know, <laughs> probably with all everybody else, you know. But on the first one out the door, and the last one hit the drop zone. So, but yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. That's um, awesome. But yeah, as you know, as far as jump school, you know, the jump masters, everybody was supportive. Um, I don't. I mean, there may have been a touch of it, you know, so uh, along my military career, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think once the individual. Um, saw, you know, my capabilities and my confidence and, you know, willingness to get the job done right. You know, a lot of that, um, you know, if there were challenges or, you know, any, you know, possibility of slight discriminatory behavior or, you know, counterproductive leadership or something like that, um, you know, it it was just dissolved. So So whatever stereotypes anyone might have had about you going Mm -hmm. into it, you just through sheer competence and character brought them to your side. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That that's excellent. I mean, that's the exact. I think when we think about uh, how we overcome, you mm-hmm. know, how we overcome, you know, differences with each other, that is, you know, that's the, the key. Is you know, everyone has these stereotypes. They go into, uh, you know, depending on where you grow up, sure. and and yeah, once we meet each other, interact with each other. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about you know this, you know, when people do form, um, you know, maladaptive stereotypes. Mm-hmm. This is their idea of how a people that they've never met are like or how a group Correct. of people or whatever but then once you once you get in there there's no stereotypes for right. lieutenant colonel nieto or yolanda right. nieto and then mm-hmm. they see you know what you know they see you and who you are and absolutely that that's a that's a great way to build camaraderie and just really get past a lot of those barriers and i think that that holds true for you know for all the hispanic soldiers within the u.s army mm-hmm. or not even in the u.s army but dod you know across the board you know we're, we're we're, we're here to work hard, you know, do our job and meet mm-hmm. mission um, and hopefully have fun while we're doing it. Yeah. Because it, to me, that, that's really been the key is to be able to, to enjoy the work that we do. Yeah. And so. I think and really and your family is like a perfect example. Mm-hmm. When we when we look at our the, you know, the, the members of DOD with Hispanic mm-hmm. heritage, they probably have quite a bit of uh, service in their family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wh- whether it's the revolutionary war civil mm-hmm. war you know mexican american war there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of service Absolutely. uh and you know that they, they're probably they're probably you know uh, like you were saying you didn't necessarily feel a uh, pressure to mm-hmm. uphold that you wanted to, to you know go and have an adventure but mm-hmm. you know they're they're serving and you know they're 
their ancestors have served, like their fathers and mm -hmm. uh, uncles and cousins. And, and so, yeah, there's a lot of service. Um, yeah, I think that's a yeah, very important part of our military culture. Once again, considering, you know, the, your family's, family's legacy of serving, I understand your son is getting ready to join the Marine Corps. Yes. So right now he's training uh, to take the Marine Corps version of the, uh, I think they call it a PFT, and uh, which is our ACFT. And uh, so he's already passed the uh, flight physical, the flight exam. Oh, wow. And so he's, so he's looking to become a pilot. It, exactly. That's his dream right now is to become a pilot. And so from so, the time, yeah. And so like, you know, yeah. talking about, you know, uh, mm -hmm legacies of service and hispanic families you Correct. know it sounds he's like sounds like he's keeping up the tradition how yes. do you feel how do you feel about him joining the military uh, so from the time you joined in 1985 to the changes that you've seen uh, how do you feel about him joining the military and you know what what advice would you give him do it just you know learn everything that you can uh you know from your uh, enlisted and warrant officers and, you know, senior officers, you know, take every opportunity, even though, you know, it may seem like a challenge, just do it, just do it, go out there, try it out, you know, and, and see where it takes you. Yeah, and if he has a hard yeah. time, he can always play the, my mom's Lieutenant Colonel card. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no help yeah, for mom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's the Marine Corps and I'm army. So uh, I probably right. uh, would mess it up for him. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so you know, call no. his first sergeant, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> let him know to take it easier on him. Yeah, no. Uh, so he already has a cousin that is in the Marine Corps. Okay, um, nice. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there could be a chance that he gets to Quantico when he's still there. So he'll have enough to deal with. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Versus, uh, you know, trying to use the, my mom's a lieutenant colonel card. <laughs> no. Well, it's always something good to keep in the it, back pocket. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so as you're coming to the, as you're, you know, preparing for retirement and getting ready for the next phase of your life, when we think about young Hispanic female soldiers who are thinking of joining the army or who are in the army now and just starting their careers, what advice would you give them? I, I would say um, stick it out. Uh, you know, because you don't know what's on the other side. Um, go and second of all, come into the army, check it out. Um, because if you don't like it, you can always go into the reserves. Um, because there are many opportunities and challenges that will help you to grow as an individual. And, you know, you will grow uh, and know more about who you are through the experiences and the challenges um, and the opportunities that you'll have, you know, in, in any of the you know, services. So not, it doesn't just have to be the Army. It could be the Marine Corps, you know, Air Force, et cetera. It just, you know, make that decision, do it, and, you know, follow follow your dream for, for as long as, you know, that works for you. And, you know, of course, develop a plan, um, you know, and, and come back to that plan, you know, if it's every 30 days, you know, every six, three, six months, a year, um, you know, come back and, and revisit that and, you know, but go for it. Take you know, the ride and have a plan. Exactly. So we have a tradition on the Every Soldier Counts podcast yep. where we ask our guests, uh, what is your favorite part about being stationed in Area 4 in Korea? So the the history, the people, and the food. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I can tell you the yeah. food comes up a lot, and I, I agree with the food and the history is, uh, is yeah. remarkable. It's yeah. remarkable to be able to spend, to spend that time around here. Well, ma'am, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Not only can you hear this podcast on your favorite venue to listen to podcasts, but you can also see my pretty face on the 19th ESC YouTube page. Just Google 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts. I'm Captain Mukherjee, and this has been the Every Soldier Counts podcast. Catch you next time.